This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Leaders and Legends in Government with Aileen Black on Federal News Network. One-on-one interviews with the people who've left a lasting imprint on the government and the nation. Now your host, Aileen Black. Welcome to Leaders and Legends in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking with Renee Wynn, former CIO of NASA. Prior to the CIO of NASA, Renee was also the deputy CIO of EPA. She recently retired, but is extremely busy as a board member and advisor. She frequently um, uses LinkedIn to highlight IT trends and about her old employer, NASA, and her thoughts on IT, and remains a sought-after voice on government technology. Among her post-federal pursuits, she has become a fellow at the National Academy of Public Administration. So Renee, first, it's an honor and welcome to the show. Thank you, Aileen. It's great to be on the show and I appreciate you inviting me to speak today. So let's get started. Um, can you describe or, or kind of, uh, you know, uh, give some thoughts on your leadership style? I certainly can. My leadership style has evolved over the years, partly out of necessity and the other part through just natural maturation, although not a lot of people would agree that I've matured in any way, shape or form over the years, but I like to think that I have. And one of the places where I evolved a lot and received some amazing lessons because I was exposed to some amazing leaders And that was at NASA and a previous administration administrator at NASA uh, would always used to quote, take care of your people and they will take care of the work. And I have really tried to emulate him and his success uh, and by trying to live up to that taking care of your people. And in fact, the other night I was at an event where I heard General Keene speak about foreign policy and its relationship to the United States. And I met a gentleman there who, again, really lived the take care of your people and it will take care of your work. So it was really good that even a few years after or a year and a half after retiring, getting exposed to this same adage again in a completely different scenario. And so that was great to have that reinforced. And part of how that came about the mantra and trying to live it, which is more than just hearing it, but how do you become that? Is it NASA? I had a leadership aha moment. And it was uh, just a month or two after I'd started there at NASA and the current NASA CIO had taken his DC located team to an offsite meeting. And it was, you know, intended to build camaraderie, go over strategic direction, just typical things that you would have at an offsite meeting and you get everybody to focus on the issue at hand. And we sat through the full day, including lunch, and there was a lot of tension in the room. And I wasn't, since I was new, I didn't really know what I was sensing. So at the end of the day, our organizational development leader, I pulled her aside and I said, hey, I felt a lot of tension. Um, I heard some things that gave me pause. I'd love to talk to you about how to work with this because I've never really handled that kind of tension before that I was sensing, but perhaps I'm maybe there really isn't a sense of tension. It's just me. And she said, Hey, come do with me to my office and let's chat. I'm like, Oh, okay. That's great. Let's do that. And so I followed her to her office 
And uh, we walked in and she went to a bookshelf and she handed me something and no introduction, but the book says leadership and self-deception. And Aileen, as you might guess, my face was, what? What are you implying? I mean, that's what my expression was. She said, no, no, no. I can see you're hesitant here. Just read the book. And here's a study guide. And I looked at her a little, I don't know, skeptically. And I said, all right, I will read it. And so I was true to my word. And I cracked open that book actually that night. And I devoured that book. And the aha moment came within this book because the point of this book was your own mindset as a leader. Where are you with the issue? Where are you with the individual that you might be working with at the time? And if you feel heartfelt, genuine care to help them and support them, then it will come across and you will work through your challenges and you will have a productive relationship. And if you don't, then you're not going to have a production relation, productive relationship because your mindset is not truly genuinely focused on having a productive relationship with the individual. And you know, this book is spot on because we have all been at a conversation where somebody has been talking to us and you feel like you could have just walked away, put a mannequin where you were standing and the person wouldn't even have noticed, you, you know, or, or, and other times you've had a conversation with somebody and you have really felt like it mattered. You were there with that person at that moment. And that is when I really pivoted to try to focus on that mindset And in that mindset, your leadership style evolves kind of naturally to fit the situation and to fit the person. And so I am grateful for the years that I had at NASA to be exposed to some amazing leaders there to really have then honed in on that, take care of your people and they will take care of the work. And the other piece that added to me being able to make this change was the book a leadership in self-deception, as well as some other books that are written by the same uh, same group and really do try to live that. And I still try to live that now. And I do find it makes a huge difference. Wow. So, I, you know, have you had a challenge that you were faced where you've applied this and and it really helped you lead people through the challenges that you were facing? Oh, yes. So how do I tell that story without giving away too much. And I will say, yes, I faced a significant leadership challenge when I was at EPA and I definitely handled it poorly. And I have been able to use it as a point of reflection more than, and put it into play with other people than I was with the individuals that I basically wrapped up in this drama when I was there at EPA, um, I, when it was kind of my last year at EPA and it was really, it was really tough. The EPA had selected an individual to be the CIO and she was so well suited for the position and it went on and on the nomination process. And so 
it was hard to navigate what that meant. I hadn't really been through something like that before. Um, I was frustrated with the process and, you know, what, what's going to be some certainty. And I just didn't handle it very well. And then when, after I read this book, I felt like, wow, I wish I had read this before because my behaviors, I, I, I really believe that the people that I was working with probably felt like I was angry with them, that I was um, unsupportive of success of anybody else's when really where I was in the end was I was in such a place of chaos because I just, there was no certainty. Every day was different the demands were changing and I needed to be forming a partnership and I was struggling to keep up with the work and I was stressing myself out more than probably necessary. So I just really can reflect on that point in time and know that I own my behaviors and they weren't the best that I could put forward. And I know that from that, from that aha moment forward, I've really tried to, when I get into a stressful place or I got into a chaotic place, I really started to say, okay, what's important to them? How do I situate myself and how do I listen? Because they need to know that I care and they need to be able to trust me to help solve their problem. And so I've been able to put that into good use, but unfortunately it came at a great cost uh, to some relationships at EPA. I think, I believe, I hope, you know, time has healed those because I've interacted with some of those players and nobody seems to be holding it over my head or treating me differently. I think maybe all of us have grown uh, from that situation. So uh, that that would be the, the near-term story without, and now the players might be able to figure out who they are, uh, but hopefully what they know is, is I, you know, I'm sorry for my behaviors. I know I could have done better. Um, and I've really strived to do better since that moment. Well, have you ever faced uh, obstacles and challenges that you encountered at a personal level that maybe helped grow you as a leader, um, maybe where you grew up or, uh, or your background? Yes. Um, I, I did have one of those moments and this is for, you know, all the working moms out there is my husband stayed home. He quit his job when, uh, after our son was about eight weeks old and I went back to work and there were times when I'd come home from work and I couldn't tell the difference between my son and my husband because they were playing and having a great time And to this day, I look at their relationship and it is so unique and I'm so grateful that they have it. So my son was probably three years old at the time and we were in the car and he had hurt himself and my husband was driving. And so I was trying to calm calm him down from the front seat and find out what had happened and that, and, and my son just looked at me and he's like, not you, mommy, daddy. And that really hurts because I was raised in a culture. Uh, we, I, it's a predominant culture to this day that the mom is the primary caregiver and that mom is who the kids turn to. 
and for help and guidance. And the ripe old age of three, my son, who had bonded so much with my husband. And again, I'm so grateful for that because they were home together all the time. And I was the one, you know, in and out for work. And I was also in and out because I traveled for my position and that really hurt. And I had to come to a place where I could gain comfort in my role as that parent. And then secondly, focus on how to strengthen that relationship with my son and make it about our relationship, his and mine, and not, um, and figure out how to go forward with that. And I'm grateful for that lesson, no matter how much it hurt, uh, because it helped me pave the way for a very different mother-son relationship uh, than maybe I had started out assuming I would have. And I'm really grateful for that too. So yeah, that was a hard one. And to all the working moms, my hat's off to all of you who have gone through this pandemic and had to be so many different things uh, to your family, uh, to the parents, maybe not just the moms, how you've really um, managed chaos and changed your roles and maybe come to some realization about the reality of those roles, the reality of time and the importance of relationships and what kind of changes you've had to make in order to thrive instead of just survive. I'm speaking with Renee Wynn, former CIO of NASA. After the break, we'll discuss their leadership, decision-making, communication, and why it is important to have the right combination. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking with Renee Wynn, former CIO of NASA. Renee, in the last segment, we were talking about being a mom and work and the balance and sometimes the the challenges that we have in that. But I know as being a a woman leader in the high-tech industry, there's many times I walk into the room and nobody else looks like me sitting around the table. Have you had some challenges or have to change your style or approach as a woman leader? I have. And Aileen... It's really about the self-confidence. When I went to NASA, even after they chose me, right? And even after they asked me to be the CIO there, I was still not confident in myself. I was like, why'd they pick me? I guess nobody else wants this job. And so then you go to your first governance board meeting for NASA, And we were making decisions. Here's an example decision, right? Planetary protection. As uh, Japan and the United States have both landed on asteroids and they have taken samples off of those asteroids using robotics. And those samples for Japan are now headed back to this earth. And it'll be the first time they come back. So back over to NASA, we had the same thing. And those samples will be coming back here to the United States, again, back to this planet. And we had to talk about and have these debates about planetary protection, protection of that asteroid, because we were now introducing something man-made to it. And we were now introducing an asteroid back to this planet Earth without burning up through the atmosphere as they do 
right when they come to earth. And so there's this big discussion about what is protection? What do we have to do? How to do all these things, right? What are the risks? And then you do a risk matrix and how do you mitigate those risks? Are you going to watch those risks? It's a great conversation. And I am first part of it, just sitting there in awe of such a conversation. I'm like, well, there's not something I was expecting to talk about here today. And then I was like, why am I at this table? How can I help with this whole thing? And as I'm kind of spinning myself into a little bit of a tailspin, you know, I kind of just snapped myself out of it. And I said, you know what? NASA asked you to do this job. They see something in you you're clearly not seeing in yourself. So you better just put on your big girl pants and get with this game. And so while I was still in awe of the conversation, I was able to reposition myself, redo my mindset, as I've talked about, and say, I need to be at this table and I need to give NASA my best. And my contribution is going to be, are we securing our flying assets, right? The robot that landed on the asteroid, the vehicle that it traveled in, are we using appropriate cybersecurity controls to make sure that nothing nefarious can happen during this historical event? And so I kind of got with the program, right? Got over this lack of confidence and it's foolish. It's absolutely foolish to have that because I had the job. What is it that was worrying me? And it was really just my own self-talk and and not being in the right place. And the other part too is sure, as I looked around the NASA table, I was one of a few women. And some of the women sitting around the table were astronauts. So I certainly didn't feel like I was in their league, although a few of us would talk about shoe shopping and I, I could hold my own in a shoe shopping conversation. And so it's really just, it was hard being a female leader, one, because of my self-talk, a two, being in rooms where you had these amazing, in my opinion, heroes and women we really ought to emulate in becoming astronauts. And that, and then it was coming to terms with my own style, right? I'm, I'm not an engineer. I'm not a man. And gaining comfort with leading the way I needed to lead in order to get stuff done and pulling in the best of what I saw around me at NASA and making it my own. And so it, it took a while for me to adjust to being at NASA. And I was just underwater for the first year or so. And, and I just had to keep swimming and keep asking questions and keep getting to know the other leaders around the agency, get to know the mission. And at one point it magically came together or maybe it didn't, I don't know. Uh, And I got comfortable with it. And it is hard being different um, because you don't wanna be different sometimes. What's the most important type of decision you can make as a leader for an organization? I mean. There are decisions that have to do with people. There's decisions that have to do with organizations. There's decisions that you use to do as a group. You decisions as an individual. When you approach decisions, is it different? And does it matter what type? Um, in IT, I followed the people, process, tools mantra. So in any decision, I looked at the people side first, which could be 
we were thinking about certain hardware or software or getting features, you know, from an existing set of software that we already had, how would it benefit the customer? But some of the hardest things that I had to do actually were with the personnel of the people that worked for me. And I remember this distinctly is I was watching my leadership team when I was at the Environmental Protection Agency. At this time, I was the acting CIO and assistant administrator for the Office of Environmental Information. And I was just watching the team interact, and they were a great team. They collaborated really well together. But I, I noticed something. I said, you know, if I could switch those two deputies with the current, with between, with their jobs, which places, I think the team would be better. I think the individuals would get more from the relationship from the office director. And I think the organization would do better. And, you know, when an idea occurs to us, it makes all the sense in the world. But then you're like, what does this people decision mean outside of my head? And so I, I talked to the individuals I was thinking about first one might think, oh, I should talk to the office directors who were going to be inheriting, potentially inheriting this decision, or I'd need their agreement. But I decided that the people that it had affected the most closely is who I should talk to first. And, and it was really hard because I was changing their job. It wasn't a performance issue. It was really about the organization and them. And so we had that conversation went on for well over an hour. So obviously we're moving meetings all over the place because life used to be in 15 minute increments. And we had a great heart to heart conversation about what I was trying to achieve. They helped shape what was going to be achieved with this. And they both, they said, Hey, give us some time. And they went back and they worked amongst themselves really for a week and they came back to me and they said they would love to do it. And I, I expect, I didn't expect we would love to do it. And then we brought in the office directors and we made the switch. And you know, when one of those individuals I was talking to her after she had retired and she still thanked me for seeing things like I did and making the request like I did to swap jobs because she believed she did thrive with this change and it positioned her she went on to be an office director in that organization and she believes some of what I asked of her and how she grew um, it was because of that decision and the ask that I had so in technology it's always people first then the process if you're talking about a tool and then it's the technology that matches the ecosystem and in this instance It was really all about putting what I thought were the right people in better seats for the organization. And I was fortunate that we had a great heart-to-heart conversation. I could make that happen and that it worked out. I've done that before uh, when I got to NASA and we needed to, and these were staff in the organization, not my direct reports And two of the three people that we shifted flourished in their new jobs and were grateful for having, it really is a hard conversation to say to somebody, I think I have a job for you that's better suited to your talents, especially if they've been doing the job for a long time. So my process is always people, process, and tools. 
And I've had to make some tough, I think, tough calls and had tough conversations with the people. And fortunately, those conversations have worked out more times uh, than not. And so when you lead with people, the work will get done, as I heard at NASA, and the organization, I think, will be better for it. So over time, have you had to change your focus and time horizons uh, and have they changed or taken on, have you taken on more uh, responsibility or more senior positions? Um, Have you changed the way that you approach, you know, solving a problem as a leader? Yeah, the first time I moved into a management executive position, I was too hands-on with problem solving and it mucked with people's empowerment and their engagement and the outcome. And it even started to breed a little bit of mistrust. So one of the things I've actually had to learn along the way was how to be the executive and how to mature as an executive. You know, the first time I was in the senior executive service, I was too hands-on one would say probably too much of a micromanager. Um, And it took me a while to sort of figure out how to pull back and get more hands off and be more performance driven. Like, here's the concept I'm trying to achieve. Let's talk about it. Let people shape it and then let them run with it. And that is, I think that's actually fairly common when people first move into executive level positions is you've got to take a broader perspective. Like how do I fit in my agency strategy, right? For me, how do I fit in human exploration? How do I fit in advancing science and technology for the benefit of humanity? I mean, that's a pretty tall order, but once you start to figure it out, it starts to flow. And it means you also have to ask your direct reports, how are you doing? And hope that they'll give you an honest assessment so that you can begin to mature as a leader as well. And in fact, mature from being a manager and an executive to being a leader. And that is, is don't dictate how things are, dictate the vision, let that vision be shaped by them because they're part of it. And then how do you get out of the way? And then how do you know when to get, you know, frankly, put your nose in it and figure out, and help people get things straightened out when they run into a problems and that, and that is an art. It is not a science. And that means you have to get to know everybody that works for you really well. So you can maybe read them, but really be able to take the feedback from them and understand the um, what's not being directly communicated to you, try to get those signals and then be able to have really good conversations. So learning how to get step back, and be more strategic. It took me, I think, a couple of years to be able to get to that. Um, And I had great help along the way to do that because you don't do anything like that alone. Um, And I think I'm better for it. And certainly when I was at NASA, I definitely worked with the team to set a five-year vision for where we needed to take IT when I first got there. And very clearly, I could see it about the two-year, two-and-a-half-year mark we needed to revise our strategy, but we were still in the middle of a big transformation project. So we had to park that. And I told everybody that I said, I realize we're 
probably going to be veering off our strategy, but we're going to, at the right time, we're going to get back to that strategy and reset our direction. I'm speaking with Renee Wynn, former CIO of NASA. Coming up next, we'll talk about being a leader that is trying to lead through change. You're listening to Leaders in Legend and Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black. Welcome back to Leaders in Legend Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black, and today I'm talking with Renee Wynn, former CIO of NASA. Renee, getting organizations to adopt change are always one of the biggest leadership challenges. How do you approach leading an organization to adopt change? <laughs> oh, that's the hardest thing about my job was adopting change. And in, and in the IT world, change is constant. You, know, you get your every Tuesday updates and things change. And, and that means, too, the controls can change from a cyber perspective. But adopting change is really hard. But let's talk about the right change. So if I wanted to be more fit, I've made that decision and I invest in, you know, running farther, lifting more weights and that, and I adapt to that change easily because it's what I want to do. When you're talking about organizational change, it's something that a lot of people don't want to do. They're quite comfortable in, in the direction that they're going. They love what they're doing. They don't see why change is necessary and that. And so I adopted kind of the Cotter rules of change. The first thing is, is what is a compelling reason to change and tell that story over and over again and work both individuals with individuals, as well as with your organizations, you know, in their small bits and pieces to explain to them why the change matters. And that's Simon Simon was one of those two that talked about why and that's the first piece that goes with change. And you just have to stick with it. And there are days where you don't want to stick with it anymore. But it's about the time when you're ready to quit moving on that change. Going, this is too hard. That you begin to see the little signs where that change is beginning to have a, a positive effect. And my the big change that I led at NASA was... NASA cybersecurity posture, both on the globe as well as off the globe. And there were a lot of people that didn't want to change because they were afraid we would break it. And they were right to fear that. Um, and when you've got humans, astronauts off, you know, off the planet, and it could be an international incident if something should happen, astronaut safety is paramount. You're really careful with where you're making your changes in IT, how you're making them, and who you're coordinating with. So that means it takes longer, but it is absolutely worth taking the time and just stick to your why, and it will go well, but also make sure you have a great place that you can go de-stress uh, because it's you're in it for the long haul. And so it, it's worth it, and it's really a lot of fun. You're just going to have to persevere. You know, you must have faced some pretty big challenges to adopt change at NASA. I mean, you know, they put people on the moon. Um, what is your strategy to keep people focused when, when you know, some most people might have believed it, it couldn't be true that you couldn't achieve some of the things that you were trying to accomplish? And, and I know you accomplished tons of things, especially when you were CIO of NASA. Oh, gosh. What do you do? You Safety of the people in my organization, safety of everyone in NASA was paramount. And the 
piece that I brought was the security part that was part of that safety culture. And frankly, don't let a crisis go to waste. Aileen, I used it over and over again. Um, And it was that crisis and a couple of them were some significant cyber incidents. And from those, I could really talk to the leadership and say, you know, that was a near miss. Uh, And near misses are a bad thing in the space industry. And so I could use the analogies of what I'd learned in being exposed to the space business, as well as the, you know, aero um, aeronautics and talk to them about things that would happen, cyber incidents and how we could prevent them and how it was a team sport and that my team was here to help them and not break things. And so never ever let a good crisis go to waste and turn those crises into stories that mean something to the people that you are working with. And so I had to just learn as fast as I could about NASA's complex missions so that when I had an opportunity to talk to the leaders, I could speak to them, I hope, in a value proposition way and why working with my organization and putting cybersecurity protections in place meant safety for them and their people, as well as the intellectual property that they were inventing. So learn your business, learn your trade craft, get some good stories and never let a good crisis go to waste. Speaking of, you know, NASA is obviously, you know, in, in the news constantly, a um, lot of investments in the areas of space with this administration. You were the CIO of NASA. What was it like being the CIO of such an amazing organization trying to achieve such incredible results like NASA? What was the coolest thing you ever did? <laughs> All right. So the coolest thing I ever did was meet some amazing folks, um, not just the astronauts, but the engineers, the scientists, the things they think about, right? Is there life on Mars? Could there be the possibility of life on Mars? These were questions all the time. You heard them. And so it makes you be a better person. And so the exposure that I got to the individuals there was a true gift and really kind of changed my mindset about the universe and other planets. And so it was very cool to be the CIO of NASA. It was the best job in the world, really, actually best job in the universe. I guess I can say that. Um, And that, but two things really stuck out in my mind that I got to go do. So I flew at 43,000 feet with a telescope hanging out the back of an airplane. And yes, the airplane um, underneath was wide open for that telescope to be uh, taking pictures of Jupiter. And so we flew all night and I got to stare in the little radar screen looking at Jupiter and Ganymede. And it was just surreal to be doing that. And it was really cold too, because the airplane is open. And I met some amazing scientists who have been wondering about the universe for longer than I've been alive. Um, And that really is the truth. And so it was great to get to know them, but that was a neat experience. And the second experience that really stick out in my mind over and above the individuals that I met was uh, going to Russia and to Kazakhstan. Uh, to see a uh, human launch. 
And it was great to be invited by the Human Exploration Office to go along and do that. I met my team that actually supports Launch, um, and it was an honor to meet them. They spoiled me rotten when I was there. And to be sitting in a country that was, from in my lifetime, the Cold War was pretty phenomenal, right? Because that's a lifetime mind shift change I had to make on my flight to Russia that I never thought I'd go and I never thought I'd want to go, but I went and I loved every minute of it. You're listening to Leaders and Legend Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking to Renee Wynn, former CIO of NASA. Next, we'll find out what Renee's advice is to the next generation. I'm Aileen Black. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today we're talking with Renee Wynn, former CIO of NASA. So, Renee, we just saw a big change in leadership in the White House. What um, advice would you offer uh, to government executives as they navigate or you know, change things from, you know, a year ago, maybe investments were in a different area. Now the focus is in a different area. You've lived through many administrations. What advice would you have? I would have some advice that I'll call whoopee. And uh, whoop, W-O-O-P, you can Google it and, and go online. But my nieces and I were talking about this and my, my nieces are, uh, 20 or about to be 20 and 16. And we had the pleasure of having a two week vacation together this summer. And so I was talking to them, right? They're the next generation of leaders and helping them see where they want to be their role and be confident in themselves without being arrogant. So I shared with them this um, acronym of sorts. And what it is, is have your wish. That's the first W. What's the outcome that you want? What are the obstacles that'll be in the way? And that's the second O. What's your plan? That's your P. And then implement, which is your I. And then evaluate. And evaluate was added by my youngest niece. She said, well, if you're going to implement, you better evaluate too. So whoopee is my advice. Go ahead and have your dreams. And you make dreams come true with this whoopee approach because you wish you have an outcome, you have an obstacle, you have a plan, you're going to implement and you're going to evaluate how it's going. And in addition to the whoopee part, you need to have a network that supports you uh, emotionally, uh, also supports you by helping to introduce you to people that can help your wish come true. They can introduce you to people to overcome those obstacles, and they can introduce you to people that will believe in you to make things happen. And since I've retired and started my own little business, it has been my network that has helped me reframe my whoopee, my wishes in retirement what my plan is, how I'm implementing it, how I'm evaluating it, and how I'm having an amazing time helping other people be successful. So whoopies and mentors and a great network. And that is my advice is invest in all three of those areas. That's great advice. So let me ask you then, what's next for Renee? What's next for me is my focus right now is getting a corporate board 
opportunities to serve as an independent board member because I want to offer back what I've learned from leadership as we've talked about. I have a strength in cybersecurity, uh, exposure to the space business, uh, and having spent 25 years in environmental protection agency, I can bring you, um, you know, sustainability, uh, environmental policy, and time also in the government and a little bit about how the government works. And so I want to offer that back to companies and bring value to them, which also will put me in a seat to really continue to learn, continue to grow my network and continue to contribute and support all women and minorities in raising them up to be their full potential. So you, you're talking about your three nieces, um, you know, women leadership, uh, you know, is lacking in a lot of the high tech companies. I think the federal government has been a little bit better at getting uh, a more diverse um, leadership. What do you think is the biggest challenge that we have to get more women in tech and especially in leadership challenges? I think there's one, there's a couple of areas to that. And my nieces, the oldest is studying engineering. The one is, is the self-confidence to be there and continue to thrive when you look around and you don't see yourself as part of it. So that takes your network, other women and men in it. The other piece to this is a network gap. A Him for Her is an organization that supports women getting uh, women in, um, getting on boards. And uh, the founder there really focused on the network gap because most board opportunities are given to somebody you know. You know their capabilities. That's true of jobs. So you need to expand your network into areas where you want to be or where you want to get better. So how do you close that network gap is another area where to do it. And then for people that are making these decisions, you need to be intentional. I was very intentional on a couple of my recruitments at NASA and I got pushback and I, I got to tell you, I was a little bit like, okay, thank you. I'm the customer here and I want to change who I see an interview for a position and you're pushing back on me. Um, Okay. Thank you very much. Can you tell me more about it? And frankly, it didn't make sense to me why I was getting this pushback. And I just said, this is what I like. And this is what I want. I had to kind of pull rank a little bit. And I was surprised at that. Um, And I changed the way I recruited. I was very intentional about where I put the position advertisements. I put them in places where um, tech and women in tech were going to be looking at those job boards. I put it in places where minorities would be looking um, and put it on those job boards so that I could build a diverse candidate pool from which to make my decisions. And you know what, Aileen, I did. So be intentional with your recruitment, go outside where you think you need to go, build a strong network and close that gap in, in your network gap, right? For me, I've got a, you know, a lot of men and women and it's diverse and I'm fortunate because I've been very intentional since I kind of learned that. Um, and, you know, go ahead and, Uh, be comfortable that you may be the only one. 
but you're going to pave the way for the next one and the next one and the next one. So stick with it and find a support network, you know, when you're going to really need that emotional network to stay in the game. You had a very successful career. You were a CEO of CIO, I'm sorry, of NASA. If there's a listener out there that would like to follow in your footsteps to become a CIO um, to a, a huge agency like CIO, like NASA, what advice would you have? Go for it. Um, and then find out from individuals, uh, interview some CIOs and find out what they believed put them in the position to compete for the position. What were the capabilities? Almost all of them are going to tell you it's people skills, your ability to listen, your ability to collaborate with sometimes very challenging people, your ability to solve problems, your ability to treat people well, um, and to bring together diverse teams to get the job done. But don't let my answers kind of stand for it, but go talk to people that are in the jobs and find out from them what made them successful. And then put yourself on that journey to make sure that you've got those skills. Uh, and so that when you are interviewing for that position, you show yourself as being ready for being a CIO. CIO job is not about technical. It really is about the people part. Um, and so you need to show yourself as ability to lead people and to get those results uh, no matter how challenging it is. You've been listening to Leaders and Legend in Government. My guest today has been Renee Wynn. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Leaders and Legends in Government with Aileen Black. Subscribe to this podcast at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. Hi, it's Kristen. Did you know that not doing things is easier than doing them? There's a lot of things to do, especially this time of year. But when you don't do things, there's more time to do things. Does that make sense? What I mean is when you use Shipt to get everything from gifts to groceries delivered same day, you have more time for the things you want to do. To not do things so that you can do other things, visit shipt.com slash holiday. That's S-H-I-P-T dot slash holiday. Hey, electrical contractors, I'm Matt from ABB. Are rising costs and product delays keeping you up at night? We can help you contractor better. ABB's contractor resources are designed to help you increase productivity and profitability on your commercial construction projects. Check out Contractor Better today. Visit go.abb slash contractor better.